0: You're listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of Inside Healthcare. I'm Matt Brock. We feature today Frank Michike, NCQA's Vice President of Public Policy and Communications, along with Peggy O'Kane, our President here at NCQA. And this week, they're talking about what's on everyone's mind, COVID-19 let's get started.
1: Peggy, this is our first podcast since the COVID outbreak. Obviously, a difficult time for the country and the world. Um, So much suffering. Um, Can you share some of your observations on what we've seen, particularly given your career uh, prior to coming to NCQA as a respiratory therapist?
2: Where to begin? It's fair to say nobody, none of us have seen anything like this in our lifetimes. And it Feels like a science fiction movie sometimes. And uh, I mean, first I'm going to just speak as a person and then I'll speak as a respiratory therapist. I mean, first of all, uh, I think it, for me, it just underlines the importance of public health, something that we haven't thought about for, I, th- I think for a while. It's, you know, uh, for people in healthcare, we know that public health is underfunded. I don't think we've ever understood the magnitude of the threats. You know, I mean, we read about them, we hear about them once in a while, um, but for the day-to-day person, we just, we haven't thought about it. And so I think that is something that's stunningly obvious and maybe something that will change in a positive way as we go forward. Um, the The second part is, and it's all related to, you know, preparation for unlikely events, although this was pretty likely to happen. You know, the, the lack of preparation and the, the anxiety that that's causing in an already stressful situation. You know, every day, um, last night I was watching the news and there were two EMTs on from New York State. And uh, they were talking about what their days were like, and it was completely shattering. And one of them pointed out that he didn't have health insurance, um, which I, I, I thought, it's like, a, it's just so beyond unacceptable, right? Um, and then on a personal note, you know, um, this weekend is Easter. You know, my family usually gets together. My daughter's downtown D.C. I see her on Zoom and Skype and, uh, you know, online, but I don't see her in person. I have another daughter in New York who has been in, sequestered in her apartment for a long time, and we're talking a lot, but, you um, You know, you worry, uh, you see what's going on. Uh, She's in Queens, uh, where we see what's going on in Elmhurst Hospital, which is a good hospital, but, you know. So it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to process. Then as a respiratory therapist, I think, uh, you know, it's very obvious to me how very, very sick these patients are and why the mortality rate for those with extreme cases is so high, I remember patients that were this sick, and it's its hair-raising and awful, and the, the fact that their families can't even be there with them at the end of their lives is just the cruelest possible thing. Uh And then for those healthcare workers that are witnessing this and trying to console the families and the, the patients themselves and take care of their own issues, it's beyond unimaginable to me what they're going through. And I just send all my good wishes. And um I think we have to make it a better world for people that serve us in such important ways. And then I think about all the, like the people in the supermarkets and the male people and the, you know, the essential services providers that are out there that are often uninsured themselves uh, and that are, just willing to kind of make the world run for the rest of us, and I I salute them. And from the bottom of my heart, I'm grateful to, for everything they do.
1: It certainly has changed our perspectives on a number of things and maybe sharpened our appreciation for, um, for the work that all sorts of folks do every day. On a on a another note, uh, less important obviously than the human suffering that you're talking about, um, there has been an impact for the the quality movement for healthcare quality measurement um, that's resulted from COVID and the response to the pandemic. How has COVID affected quality measurement in general and NCQA in particular?
2: Well. Um it hasn't been a positive effect for us in the short term, so I want to say that. And I also understand um why people would be saying, Well, we've you know, we've got people dying here and we need every uh healthcare provider to be riveted on saving their lives. Meanwhile I think there are many quality issues Around COVID, although the the lack of clarity of the science of treatment and so forth, the lack of testing, uh, these things cloud the the knowledge that we're getting. So, and um, besides that, there I can't tell you how many uh, emails I get about the latest treatment and the late and coming from reputable people. Uh, there is a fog of war kind of phenomenon that's going on, uh, around this. You know, when you have people lying on the floor in emergency departments, that's clearly not a quality of care situation. So, um, I think that we will know more, uh, in the coming weeks and months. And we also need to start learning from what people are doing, but learning in a systematic way and not from trying to extrapolate from the three people that I treated and I gave them this drug and therefore that this drug must be a miracle drug. Um, So we need to bring the machinery of sifting of medical knowledge into best practices into this area and I can't wait till that happens and that's when we uh, can get on to the more refined parts of quality measurement. But meanwhile, there are grossly Inappropriate things that are happening just because of the the sudden onset of the situation and the lack of
1: preparation.
2: So, in spite of of these healthcare workers giving 200%.
1: Do you want to speak briefly about what NCQA has done uh, for those who are listening from a, a, a practical basis? Those who are either customers or uh, stakeholders in quality measurement. What NCQA has done to address reporting of Performance year 2019 data, which we call and the nomen- nomenclature is 2020 HEATUS data. What we've done to um, facilitate that while obviously respecting the concerns about uh, not in any way interfering with COVID response.
2: Yeah, so I think I'm answering your last question right now, which is how does this affect quality reporting? uh quality reporting has been uh halted for Medicare advantage plans this year and um this you know we we I, I was trying to signal that we do we do understand why that happened and why the Medicare program uh is trying to do everything it can to take burden off of people that are doing their best to deal with an a, a, an unbelievable situation but having said that, I think we do worry about what happens to quality in the meantime, um, particularly for people that don't have COVID, you know, and, and who have other conditions, which ironically are the things that put them at high risk for really bad outcomes. Um so I'm thinking of diabetes, hypertension, uh, you know, situations like that that, that are the things that we normally are measuring. We will not be collecting, we will be on a voluntary basis collecting HEDIS for Medicare Advantage plans that want to learn from their own data and benchmark and use it for quality improvement. So I want to be clear that we are accepting it, but it's not it's not mandatory.
1: And, again, this is for uh, performance year uh, 2019. Performance year
2: 2019, and thank goodness we're going to change this crazy nomenclature. <laughs> but, yes, um, it is looking back a year when we expect that the performance was probably on a steady course of improvement, uh, as it has been in Medicare Advantage. And it, uh, we do feel a certain amount of loss that we're, we're losing those data points. Um, uh, for this year, I think I worry a lot because, um, in the middle of all this, uh, trying to deal with the acute emergency, people in the delivery system are, you know, have turned away from the normal things that we think about for quality r- reporting. And I'm not questioning that. I, I actually think it's, it's the right thing to do under the circumstances. But in the meantime, we do have people out there with chronic conditions that need to be managed. I have no doubt that there are many practitioners that are managing them, either with telemedicine or or in some other way, Um, but it's been tremendously disruptive. And, um, you know, we need to kind of figure out how are we going to kind of crawl back out of this and put the, the energy, again, behind improving the health of Americans, which is what we're about, what and what um, Medicare cares about as well. How are we going to get back on track with that, knowing that the data for this year are going to be severely, uh, not the data so much as the reality uh, is going to be severely compromised? Although I would say the data is also an issue, since so much is going to be happening uh, through telemedicine visits and um some telemedicine visits are going to be really great according to standards and so forth and others are going to be uh you know a little more um open ended shall we say uh you know um and that's to be expected as people are just getting used to the technology the technology has a lot of challenges right now uh, people aren't, you know, practitioners aren't used to it. Patients aren't used to it. So it's inevitable. And, you know, we were on a slow uprise of the use of telemedicine. Um, and because of the situation now, it's like a rocket ship. And, um, so we've got to very quickly put together, uh, the infrastructure to make sure that payers are getting their money's worth and patients are getting what they need to get from telemedicine. Uh, it, it's an acceleration. It will be exciting in many ways. And, it, um, and it, I don't think we're ever going back to the way care used to be delivered. So um, it's a tremendous opportunity in dressed up as a, as a crisis.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, specifically, what do you think the role for quality measurement is when it comes to telehealth, both during the crisis? I think I've heard you say that we need to be uh, supporting quality in this crisis as opposed to evaluating it, not to say there aren't standards, but that it's obviously not the time to be uh, hitting folks over the head with a a, a stick uh, rather than carrots. And so what's the role of the – Quality measurement for telehealth specifically during the crisis and then afterwards. I think you've started talking about afterwards it has to be folded into the let's say traditional quality measurement system. So your thoughts on that? I mean,
2: you know, or it may offer opportunities to do things that are really different from the traditional. So I don't want to, I don't want to like have everybody think, oh, now it's just going to be the same because we're going to have opportunities now to get feedback from patients in ways that are that can be connected right into that visit and we shouldn't squander that opportunity so um uh, i you know there there's a real positive thing i think in the meantime uh so if you're a doctor coming out of retirement which there are many and you know you haven't seen a patient in a in a couple of years and i know some administrative doctors that are doing these things it really can be very helpful for the system to prompt you, uh, to give you some some information at the start of the visit about this person, about what the open issues are. I mean, that is a completely different scenario than I lay eyes on you on a screen and I have no idea who you are, I have no idea what your history is, and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. So, And we know that both of those scenarios are occurring out there, so I think that, you know, making sure that the practitioner has what they need and then that the practitioner can feed back into the normal system that takes care of that person. Sometimes it may be the actual same doctor, right? Your primary care doctor just got put on a telemedicine platform and that's great. And, um and, and still, you know, doctors have a lot of patients and it really does help to have things kind of presented to them in real time, just just in time as they need it. So so I think there's a lot of that that I would call supportive uh, that's not particularly about how am I going to rate you versus somebody down the street that's doing telemedicine, which I think may be sometime in the future.
1: Yes. Well, it is um – uh, exciting in the midst of a really bad situation that there may be some leaps forward, both for um, the uh, really the access to uh, medicine and, and uh, healthcare via telehealth, and then also to uh, overall improvement in quality. Um, I want to touch on something you said earlier, and I, I think it's important, and I know you think it's important, which is how do we simultaneously respond to the crisis? But also learn the right lessons to carry forward. Where, where uh, how would you think about finding those lessons in the midst of the crisis um, and and pulling them out and and um, uh, adapting them to improve quality going forward?
2: Well, I think that's actually what we're doing. Uh, we're trying to understand what's happening, and we're trying to. Uh, we've got a you know, project right now internally just to kind of talk to some telemedicine companies, understand what the scenarios are, um, and and learn from them, uh, think about the opportunity. So I think we're trying to do that. I mean, I think that there are plenty of other things. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that is very impressive to me is how many people in, in healthcare are really trying to figure out what can I do here with my technology company or with my drug company or with my medical practice to uh, advance the treatment of this this illness? you know so uh, it, you know I mean every day I hear somebody different on the on NPR or on a podcast talking about I used to be a researcher on this, and now I've moved my my interest over to the the coronavirus and how we're going to deal with it. You know, so there's a rapid evolution going on in science, uh, in drug development, both for the, and for the tests, and for the tests of zero, you know, for immunity. Uh, There's all kinds of, you know, it's very, very impressive to watch uh, our whole magnificent scientific enterprise turn as one towards rescuing us from this horrible virus, right? Uh, And then you can say, you know, technology companies are rising to the occasion. There are all kinds of new ideas going around. There are collaboratives being put together, uh, very strange bedfellows, you know, uh, competitors working together. Um, So in that that aspect of it is really quite impressive too.
1: My last question, Peggy, I'm sure you've been following the reports that the impact on minority communities, uh, particularly in terms of mortality of the uh, virus, is, is far worse than uh, their representation in the overall population. Um, do you have thoughts on both uh, what we might attribute that to and, and, again, what we might learn from this and uh, change going forward?
2: Well, I'm afraid I think that many of these disparities and outcomes of, of COVID reflect deep disparities, uh, that exist for people in, in life. You know, so, um, let's go through the, count the ways, uh, average income, uh, you know, a fraction for African Americans of what, what a white family makes, for example. Um, who are the people out there? putting their lives at risk every day, um, you know, who don't get to work from home. It's disproportionately people of color um, and people who have no other choice. So there are the are sort of economic issues. Sometimes it's related to, uh, and, and poor areas, I think that um, they may not have as many hospital beds, you know, so you have more people getting sick and then you have less resources. So, uh, and, you know, public hospitals are being overwhelmed even more than private hospitals. Um, so there's, you know, it's like every piece of the puzzle is, is wrong for poor people and people of color. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there's a health, a quick healthcare quality silver bullet here. I'm afraid I think that these are deep issues that need to be dealt with. I was very pleased to hear Dr. Fauci say yesterday uh that these disparities in outcomes are unacceptable and that we need to uh and he was talking about social determinants and the things that we need to do on the larger uh healthcare uh tab tableau uh uh you know there there isn't a quick fix. I don't think. But actually, you know, if you look at the testing numbers, this is something that there could be a quicker fix for. If you look at who's getting tested, aside from NBA players and oil executives, there's definitely a lot of disparity in who's getting the tests, and that's really unacceptable, and it needs to change. So that is one example of where, you know, we see the usual – short shrift being given to people that that get it across the board.
1: Great. All right. Well, Peggy, this has been a a great discussion. Um, uh, We all regret the circumstances, but I do think there's a lot we can learn, and I think uh, we'll move forward together. Uh, Thank you for your time today, and um, thank you for those of you who've uh, tuned in to listen.
0: And that does it for this episode of Inside Healthcare. Before you go, just want to give you a quick reminder. If you listen to us on Apple, please give us a rating. Move us up in the search uh, sequences so that we can uh, attract more listeners. Also, don't forget, qualitytalks.org, www.qualitytalks.org. This COVID version of Quality Talks is going to be the best ever and may help you break up, well, some cabin fever. We look forward to seeing you there. We look forward to seeing you here again. Thank you for listening to Inside Healthcare. We'll see you again, no doubt.